All right, good morning. Uh, my name is Jeremy Morris. I am the youth pastor at Stonebridge Church. Um, I have to qualify that every time. I am the oldest youth pastor in Marietta. Uh, and so uh, sometimes you're like, really? Um, no, glad to be back. This is awesome. I love coming here. I love getting the invitation. I'm pretty regularly surprised that I get to return um, and, and be with y'all on a Sunday. I actually met a lady that goes to your church. I can't remember her name, so she's here. I'm sorry. At a youth football game, and she said, I think you spoke at my church a few weeks back. This was a while ago, and I, I didn't recognize her. My first response was, it depends on if I offended you. If I didn't offend you, then yes. If I did offend you, it was somebody, some other bald fat man. Uh, so, but again, glad to be here this morning. I'm really excited about it. Uh, we're going to look at Acts 4, 1 through 31 this morning. That passage won't be on the, on the screen because um, I messed up this morning and didn't give those verses. Let me go ahead and do this. Since I am a youth pastor, and I've been a, I was a high school teacher and a youth pastor for a long time. And I walked a lot of parents through the 7th, 8th, ninth grade, and then into high school and on to college. But nobody is doing that for me. My youngest, my oldest son is a ninth grader. We had homecoming at Marietta High School last night. I was completely out of my element, out of my league. I had no idea. Like, let me tell you, I got a camouflage belt on this morning. That's how kind of, I got home at two this morning. And then uh, I couldn't find a belt. I was like, I'll just put this, this one on. So I'm not going hunting afterwards. I'm actually going back and doing some used miniature. But just completely not ready for to have a ninth grade son, and so that's what we've been doing. All right, that's enough of the tangent. Sorry. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, we ask uh, this morning that you speak to us, that you'll speak directly to our hearts, that as we uh, look into the building of your church and this hope of the world, Lord, that we will acknowledge your goodness and your grace and your mercy, God, and we just ask you'll speak. Um, in Jesus' name, amen. All right. So last week, I think y'all looked at Acts 3. So we're going to do a little recap, review, if you remember correctly from last week. We're at this point where Peter and John are going to pray in the afternoon. They're going to pray at the temple, and they're going through the gate beautiful, right? Now i got a picture of it. It'll be up there in a second. I don't know why. I just I like the picture of looking at these things. But they're at this gate, and there's a man that's been carried there by his friends. He hasn't been able to walk his entire life. And so he is sitting by the gate, and he does what beggars do at this time, and that is he asks for money. And if you remember, Peter and John are walking up, and he's like, can you give me some money? And they're like, Peter very boldly looks at him and says, very dramatically, silver or gold I don't have, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And of course, the guy gets up, he starts bouncing around, jumping around, who wouldn't? And he's celebrating all the way into the temple and all the way around them, and people are trying to figure out who this guy, what's going on, because they know who this man is. He's been there his whole life. I think the passage says something around 40 years. This man has not been able to walk, and he's been there. And so people are walking by saying, I know that guy, and he can't do this. Right? So what is he doing? And people start gathering and start looking around. And and Peter is very opportunistic. He said, this looks like a preaching moment. And so he delivers this sermon. and, And one of the things about Peter's sermon, I always find pretty convicting because as a, as a pastor ourselves, we rarely talk this directly to people. But Peter basically says in his sermon, hey, God sent Jesus, he's the Messiah, and y'all killed him. Right? He says, y'all killed him, but repent and you can be forgiven. And so people are really excited about this and really worked up about this. And then it says that the, 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 the guards came upon them. Right? The, the, the priest 
the temple guards, they came upon them. And that word there, come upon them, has this emphasis on, on suddenly come upon them, right? It's not like they kind of snuck up and they were in the audience listening to what Peter was saying. It was, this is a big deal. Somebody said something. And it was, in my mind, I see it as almost like an attack by the police here, right, the temple guards. They're like, this is a big deal. Let's go after these guys. And so Peter and John are then arrested. And we're going to pick up there in the passage. I'm going to read the first uh, seven or eight, and then we'll stop just for a second. It says, the priest and the captain of the temple guards and the Sadducees came up to Peter. That's that seized them suddenly part to Peter and John. While they were speaking to the people, they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was the evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. So again, they're arrested, and they're immediately seized upon. Now, it gives a pretty substantial list of people who were involved in the arrest. And one of the groups that's specifically offended by Jesus in this moment are the Sadducees. And I don't have have the time to unpack all the things about the Sadducees this morning. But I will say this. They're important community leaders. They're extremely wealthy. And they don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. And a lot of times people will say they they don't really believe in the supernatural, period. And so what Peter and John are talking about here for sure is going to upset them. But I'm not sure that we should be real quick to judge. A couple of weeks ago, I was talking to a man in our church, and he's been a believer for a, two or three years. And I said, what, what was it that brought you to the Lord? Like, what, what was the process? And he said, well, I read, and I continued to read. And the one thing that jumped out at me about Christianity over all the other religions that I looked at and I studied was that it didn't have a bunch of that supernatural stuff in it. What book did you read? I said, what are you about to uh, Tell me that again. I was like, unpack that for me. He goes, yeah, it's not like all that crazy supernatural stuff that you see in other religions where they're, where they're speaking in different languages. And I was like, First Corinthians. And then I was like, it's not that crazy thing where you see people doing, like, miraculous things. And I was like, Acts. Um, I'm going through the process, and I'm like, I think, I think we got some more work to do in discipleship here. Because that is the definite, we are the, we follow a God that became a man that died and raised from the dead. I don't know much more supernatural than that, right? He walked on water, he turned water into wine, he raised dead people, he, still, he gives of himself now, he still gives words and wisdom and, and knowledge, and he heals still to this day. I don't really know much more, how much more supernatural somebody can get about the faith that we have in Jesus. And I'll say this, I think the most significant supernatural, miraculous thing about our faith and what God does is he took sinners like us and he made a way for us to be with the Father. I think that is the greatest miracle of our God. It's like he made a way. And so you can see where these Sadducees would be upset. You can see where a lot of people who are very rational in the Western world can get upset when we start talking about what God has done in our lives. 
testimonies of God's works, testimonies of healing, testimonies of prophecy, testimony of whatever miraculous thing God has done, salvation in general. You can see why, as a group of believers, sometimes we can rub people the wrong way because what we believe in, I'll be honest with you, is a little bit crazy. It's awesome. It's true, and it's good. But sometimes I'm thinking, what? Like, what? And if I hadn't experienced it, like this guy has, Sometimes I could get a little bit reluctant to be bold about my faith. Sometimes I could be a little reluctant about expressing who Jesus is with people I don't know. But that's a tangent. I'm sorry. It goes on this. It says, The next day the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Ananias the high priest was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? So, arrested, thrown in jail, big crazy crowd, 5,000 people come to faith at that point. Big crazy crowd, and the leaders of the society and the culture get worked up and upset. They throw them in jail, and some would say John and Peter should be surprised by this. But if you read John 15, this one actually will be up there. In John 15, Peter and John were expecting this. Because John 15, 18 says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they would obey yours. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come to and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without, their, without reason. So John and Peter, I'm I'm sure, remembering this statement, are not surprised when the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the high priests, and all these guys arrest them and throw them in prison. So I think there was a level of preparation going into this. And you'll see in a few minutes we'll talk about them being filled with the Holy Spirit. I think these guys are so connected to Jesus. They've been with Jesus so much that they're not surprised. They're not shocked. They're not, they're not even upset. They're going to prison at the temple. They're hanging out. They're going to come the next day. And these guys only have one question for them. By what power or what name did you do this? Now, I'm an evangelist by nature. And if I could get everybody to talk to me and start with that conversation, that would start with that question, the whole process would be way easier. Right? There's opportunity here. Peter and John see is like, by what name are you doing this? And it's like, here's the chance. Here's the opportunity to share the gospel. A lot of us are in positions where we have influence with people. People trust you. People look up to you. People acknowledge that you're a follower of Jesus. But sometimes we can get reluctant on having that conversation. I get reluctant on having that conversation a lot of times. And I, and I look forward, I'm, I, I would say I'm pretty bold about it. 
But in certain circumstances, I shrink back from any opportunity. And so I look for creative ways kind of to, cre- to have the conversation, creative ways to in- engage the conversation. And really it's out of fear. But I do dumb stuff sometimes just to start a conversation about Jesus. Like I had it tattooed on my arm so somebody would, in a different language so that somebody would say, hey, what does that mean? Sweet, here we go. Now I can have this conversation with you. It's just things like that. But instead of being bold, I try to get creative. Peter and John, this is what's crazy. They respond this way. They say, then Peter, again, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are called, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. That This man stands before you healed. Jesus, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. This is interesting, because it seems to me like Peter's trying to pick a fight. Right? He could have, he could have answered. There's two opportunities here. He could have answered this truthfully and easily, or he could have answered this truthfully and aggressively. Right? He would have, I, here, this is my opinion. This is not in the Bible. Don't, like, this is just my opinion. I think if they said, whose power did you do this by? And Peter said, God did it. I think all those guys would, oh, yeah, you're right. We believe in God. God did it. And I think John and Peter could have walked out of there, no issues, no problem. I do. That's an, it's true. It's a true answer, but it's a very easy answer in the moment. Know your audience. God did it. And the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they wouldn't, they wouldn't deny that. The hard answer, the truth answer, truthful answer, still truth, and the direct answer is not that just God did it, but that they did this in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who you crucified, who God raised from the dead. Peter, I think, likes to do hard things. Right? I think he, like, he could have got off easy, but he likes to do hard things. I can relate. I like doing hard things, but sometimes I don't discern. I think I fail a lot of times when I try to do hard things because I miss the first part of this passage. I forget to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So I try to do hard things in my flesh, and it fails miserably every single time. But hard things of being filled with the Spirit are no longer hard because it's God in us doing this, not us trying to do it outside of God. God doesn't need our help. I tell my students all the time, we call our our youth group at Stonebridge 116 because we're unashamed of the gospel, and we want them to share the gospel as often as possible. Every time you get an opportunity. But I also have to tell them constantly, you're not responsible for somebody's salvation. Quit trying to operate above your pay grade. Right? God does the work. You just tell the truth. Be filled with the Spirit. Spend time with Jesus and just tell the truth. And that's where, that's where God does his thing. But don't feel responsible for someone's salvation. That's God's job. That's above our pay grade in all ways. And so one of the questions that we ask as a result of this, with Peter's actions and how he engages, is why are we... 
Why are we shocked when following Jesus is offensive to people? It's been offensive since the beginning of, the, of, the, of our faith, right? He offended everybody. Why are we shocked when we speak the name of Jesus that people are offended? It's like that's the, where the, some of the boldness come from. You know they're going to be offended, so let's just go with it anyway. We don't have to guess, but a lot of times we choose that easy answer even when we're filled with the Spirit because we don't like the conflict. We don't like the uncomfortability a lot of times of expressing something so intimate as our faith. Sometimes our faith is very private. Sometimes when we engage Jesus in our home, we, want, we, we compartmentalize our lives so that this is what I do here and this is what I do at church and this is what I do at work or this is what I do at school. And they, they're not unified in one life. They're compartmentalized in different areas and we refuse to kind of step outside and bring Jesus into all of them. I think Peter gives us an example of this is all of me. My hope is in Jesus and him alone. And to do that, he has to be filled with the Spirit, and he does daily. The response. This is actually this is my favorite verse in all the scriptures. Just want to throw that out there. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, and they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they ask. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that he knows, excuse me, they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer in the name of Jesus. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You can be judges as, as <clears throat> you be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. Excuse me, for praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. There's a description here that I think is really important for us to, to drill down on. Unschooled, ordinary men. This acknowledgement that you don't have to be educated. You don't have to have a seminary degree. You don't have to speak on Sunday mornings. You don't have to lead a ministry. You don't have to do any of those things. These are uneducated fishermen whose only qualifying aspect of their life to, to preach the gospel was they they have there's recognizable that they had been with jesus that verse that hint that's our hinge verse for this morning they saw these two men and they recognized that they had been with jesus now, i don't know if it's specifically talking that they saw them walking around with jesus a few months earlier or, or if it's like there's this glow around them that acknowledged that they've been with Jesus. I don't know what the reason is, but what I do know is I want to live my life in a way where people can recognize that I spend time with Jesus. Not for my own sake, not for your people to think better of me, but I can't equip others and I can't preach the gospel and I can't share the good news of who Jesus is if I don't know Jesus intimately. I have to spend 
time with him. I have to engage him. I have to, and I can do all the church things and say, pray, worship, read your Bible. It's more than that. It's more than routine. It's, it's an engagement in relationship. It's talking with him. It's walking through life with him. This recognition that we can be ordinary people. That we are ordinary people. Jesus makes us extraordinary people. Not because of what we do, but because of what he does in us. Where we can stand in front of people like Peter and John did and say, you decide. Which one's better? Listen to you or listen to God? I find it, it's hilarious when I, I laugh when I read this passage because it's like they threaten them some more. Like they utter more threats. You're like, this guy just never walked before, got up and walked in, and I'm scared of you? Come on. Come on. I'm not scared of anything you have to say to me you're going to do. I expect you to hate me. Jesus told me that you're going to hate me. And Peter just responds with this boldness, and they send them out. And the fun part about that is they get together from that point on, and they go home, and they get with their friends, and they do this. They pray. They say, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own, back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth, earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will and had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders in the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And they prayed. The place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So they're warned not to do anything. Who knows what the threats were? Probably I'm going to kill you, I would imagine. And they run back to their friends, and they start praising God. They actually start praying together in intercessory prayer. And they start with three doctrinal prayers, right? They start with acknowledging God as creator. They, start, they, they then look to God as, as, um, as the source of revelation of the truth that he spoke through David. And then we, we see the acknowledgment of the incarnation of God. So very, three very doctrinal statements of who God is, what he's done, and how he, and how he has redeemed us. They get through that prayer, and then they move on to, give us the power, Lord, to speak your name boldly. Give us the power to proclaim boldly all of the things that you've done. Heal us, signs, wonders. It's crazy. They, they go to God asking for his Holy Spirit, and he responds by shaking the room and fills them with the Holy Spirit. Everything that we look at starts with being filled with the Spirit. I don't know about y'all, but sometimes I get in the mode where my Holy Spirit tank runs out during the week. I come on Sunday morning, get filled up. By Saturday night, I'm kind of out of it. I come back on Sunday morning, and I had this revelation a few years ago. That's the wrong way to engage the Lord, because that's not spending time with Him. I've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit like I breathe. Breath in, breath out. Right? Continually. Being filled by the Spirit is what will empower me with boldness to speak the truth 
to whomever I come across and to pray for whoever, to love people who are really hard to love, all of those things. But I've got to be filled with the Spirit so I can step into the plan that God has for me. If you remember back in Acts 1, kind of another version of the Great Commission where Jesus sends his disciples out. Go and make disciples. Go preach the good news. Go acknowledge it. But the problem is for us, I think, I may be wrong, maybe it's just for me. I don't always get excited about the good news because the good news has become old news. I've grown up in church. We've grown up in church. We've heard the stories over and over again. If you grew up in church like me, you heard all the Bible stories all the time. What's your cutest Bible story? Anybody remember? Come on. Nobody? Noah's Ark? Isn't that the cutest one? Right? All the animals. God killed everybody. That's not cute. It's not cute. It's crazy. And we talk to our kids, like, look at the animals. Don't worry about the dead people. That's it, right? We, that, those stories have become old news to us. The gospel has become old news to us. We have to be filled with the Spirit so we can step into this plan of evangelism, sacrifice, and obedience. We, you, you, me, us, we are called to share the gospel. It's not, an, it's not a, if you're a pastor, do it. It's not if you're an elder or a leader, do it. It's like, go, he, didn't, he didn't qualify anything. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he doesn't care about your age. He doesn't. There's students in here, I'm sure. He doesn't care how old you are. You can share the gospel. This past Sunday night, we had our first ever youth baptism at, uh, at our youth service. It was awesome. We'd have to deal with all the, like, the time constraints of doing it on a Sunday morning. We spent two hours baptizing nine students, and we took our time with all of it. It was awesome. We do these videos where the kids do their testimonies, and it's like, as a youth pastor, you can sit in the back and do this the whole time because they're telling you how, how great my youth pastor is, and he shared these things with me. And so you get kind of full of pride and really feel good about yourself. But we had one of these videos that comes up, and this young man's name is Dev. Dev starts sharing his story. Both of his parents are Hindu. Um, we had a long conversation with him and with his parents um, for weeks about allowing him to, to be baptized. His parents didn't, didn't come to the ceremony until late. His mom did. His dad didn't. And Dev, I'd never seen Dev's testimony. I knew he professed Jesus, and I was very comfortable in baptizing him. Uh, but Dev gets on, the, gets on the video, and he starts talking about his friend from our church named Weston. And it's like, one of the questions is like, how did you meet Jesus? And he said, oh, through my friend Weston. Weston told me he'd pray for me because my parents are going through a divorce. And so I started going to Weston's house, and he would pray for me all the time. And he said, I started asking Weston, like, who are you praying to? And Weston said, I'm praying to Jesus. And then Dev asked the question, he said, who's Jesus? Seventh graders now, seventh graders. And Weston laid out the fullness of the gospel for him as best a seventh grader can, which is sufficient. It doesn't have to be elegant. And Dev started coming to church. He would sit in the back, and, you know, he didn't understand what was going on. He's like, there's a bunch of kids around the stage with their hands raised up for what reason. He doesn't know. And he's just coming. He just keeps coming. And then I started to see Dev and his mom on Sunday mornings. 
Mom's a practicing Hindu. And she comes up to me one Sunday and says, hey, I have a problem. Dev is refusing to go inside the temple with me. And she said, do you know why? And I didn't even get the words out before Dev said, Mom, I met Jesus. I said, him, what he said. And so Deb lays out this testimony on Sunday night, and I'm back in the back weeping because this is a generational change for this family, right? This is, this is a family going from darkness to light through a seventh-grade boy in our church who said, I'll pray for my friend who's having a hard time. I'll pray for my friend. He was bold enough to share the gospel. He was bold enough. I'm, I'm so proud of Weston. He gets on my nerves most of the time. Every seventh grade boy does, right? But he, it's, it's like, it's crazy. I see him do crazy stuff, put a hole in the wall at the church, that kind of stuff. And then the next minute, he's like praying and sharing the gospel. I'm like, put some more holes in the wall. Let's do this. Right? Because it's, it's this boldness of a seventh grader. He doesn't know he's supposed to be ashamed of this yet. He doesn't know he's not supposed to talk to people of other faiths about it because you want to be sensitive. No, he, 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 took, he went and answered a question, a hard question, with the true answer that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. Dev ended his testimony that night. On the, on the, he said, what I realized was that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Come on. Right? That's exciting news. Yeah, I'm good with that. And what I took from that was inspiration from a 12-year-old. If he can do it, who am I not to step forward? The world will hate me. Jesus said so. Okay, let's do it anyway. They're going to hate us for following Jesus anyway. We're going to be running against culture. And our kids are running headlong into a tough culture. And we have to support them and pray for them and help them. But the truth is, if we'll watch them and we'll, and we'll see how they live out their faith, they'll lead us. Because they're bold. They're unashamed. They'll speak the truth, even in hard places. I used to be a high school teacher, and every week... After kids would leave biology class, they would come to my classroom. They're teaching us evolution. Okay. What would you say about it? I'm like, what do you think? I said, we're not going to get into that. What do you think? I'm like, well, it's Jesus. I said, go tell your teacher. It's Jesus. And don't worry about the details. The truth is, proclaim the gospel. The good news is still good news if we're filled with the Holy Spirit and we're alive in faith and we're willing to share it. What you'll see is people who constantly and continually get filled with the Spirit. I had a student in Turkey in April share the gospel with a Muslim man on the street who prayed a prayer with her. It was awesome. Our students, I think, are the tip of the spear of a revival right now. We saw it in Asbury with some, of our, with some college students. We see it now with some of our students. We see it at one camp every summer. Our students are hungry. People in our area are hungry for something. We just have to be bold enough to say something about it. Before the pandemic in Cobb County, there was one crystal healing shop in all of Cobb County. One. Got am not sure what that new age kind of crystals and energy and all that. There was one. 
during the pandemic and after the pandemic, there are 24 of those shops in Cobb County. Business must be good. I'm not discouraged by it because what I hear is people are hungry and they're looking for truth. Let's be bold like Peter and John. Let's declare the truth, the hard answers, but but not out of being right, but out of spending time with Jesus. I don't know. Steve may get mad at me for saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway. If you're not spending time with Jesus, don't share the gospel. Don't. Start spending time with him first. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Then share the gospel. The other way around won't work. Jesus sent his disciples to Jerusalem to wait, right? Y'all have gone through Pentecost in Acts 2? He sent them, wait until you are empowered. Wait until God gives, the Father gives you the gift he's promised. Be with Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, then share the gospel. Not the other way around. It's an opportunity to engage. I think I'm running out of time. I want to close with this as we wrap this up. There are three ways that this morning that we can spend time with Jesus. We're going to go into ministry time in a few minutes, and I want to invite, if, you, if you're at this place where you're like, I, want, I need something to start, there's communion up here. I believe communion is more than a symbol. I don't know what it is. I don't, I'm not too, too proud to say. I'm not sure. I don't know. I'll, what I do know is it's more than a symbol, and it can, it's an encounter with Jesus. And I want to encourage you as a starting point to acknowledging I'm going to spend time or I am spending time with Jesus to come and take communion this morning. It's an opportunity to, to outwardly show this is me spending time with him. He's in this somehow. The details of it, we'll ask God when we get to heaven. But he's in this. It's not just symbolic. The second way that we can connect this morning is intercession. I don't know about y'all, but I've got lots of people close to me in my life that don't know Jesus. Lots. I got family members, I've got friends. I've got students that I interact with. There are so many people out there that are hurting and need a Savior. I watch this video because that's how I interact with kids. I have to watch YouTube a lot to educate myself. And I watch this video of this non-Christian guy. He posts this video about Christians. He said he was walking, and he kind of he recorded the interaction. And these Christians came up to him. And he's like, hey, do you know Jesus? He's like, no, I don't believe in that stuff. And they went on this 10-minute sermon. It was beautiful. They did a great job on how God is love. And God loves you, and God cares about you, and God wants to show you how good he is. He wants to spend eternity with you, and he wants you to, he wants you to come to heaven and be with him. And the guy said, thank you for your time. I just have one question. He said, you're the first Christians to ever express this to me. And he said... How much do these other Christians have to hate me not to share this with me? I don't know. It's the truth, though. If we believe God is who he says he is, 
We believe God's done what he says he's done, what we know that he's done. Why are we holding on to it ourselves? Why aren't we giving it away daily to withhold truth and grace and mercy and love? The only thing that's opposite of that is hate. I tried, I, I tried for days to try to explain it away so that's like I didn't feel real guilty about it anymore. Sorry, I got nothing. How much do I have to hate people not to share the gospel with them? I mean, for me, the hardest people to share it with are my family. I have uncles and cousins who are as far away from the Lord as anybody. I've got my wife's family. My wife is the only believer in her entire family. And they're not just unbelievers. They're hostile towards the faith. And I shrink in those moments. Thanksgiving meal. Jeremy, you pray. You're a pastor. That's it. That's as much as I get. And I shrink. I don't declare the truth to my wife's family or to my family. Strangers, a little easier. I don't care if they like me. Maybe that's you. Maybe you got family members who you look at them, they're far away from Jesus. Share it with them. I don't know how to do it. I'll be honest. I'm not going to. This is not a practical message. Because sometimes they can't hear it from me. My, my siblings, they can't hear it from me. They know all of the bad things about me. Right? They, they've seen me at my worst over and over and over again. They know all the things. I have a hard time. Sometimes they look at me and I'll say something and they go, you're right, I'm sorry. But is it worth it? Do we love them enough to share it? The last way to connect this morning is acceptance. Some of you, maybe some of you, have never accepted Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. I wish I could play. I wish I could have brought Dev's testimony for you. Twelve-year-old boy who grew up under the yoke of Hinduism realized that through a friend. I want to invite you today to, you know, what better time than now? It's like the Ethiopian eunuch. There's water. Why don't I get baptized? I want to invite you. If you've never given your life to Jesus, come forward. Let the, there's going to be prayer teams up here. I will be uh, shocked if they're not really, really excited to pray that prayer with you. Come forward, receive Jesus, receive what he has for you. He wants to speak truth. We want to love you. Come forward and let us pray with you. Also, I forgot, if, if you have, if you're one of those that family members that don't, come forward. Let's, let's do what Peter and John did. They ran to their friends and they prayed together. You've got a body of believers who are willing to intercede on your behalf this morning. Run to your friends and pray together. If they're up here, come forward to the prayer teams. If there's somebody around you who you want to pray together with during this last song, you can come on up. Pray with them. But let's not miss an opportunity to bring our friends to the feet of the cross today. Let's not miss an opportunity to intercede. I'm going to pray. Um, We'll, we'll worship, and you come as the Lord leads you. Again, communion's on the sides. Prayer teams will be forward. Um, yeah, let's pray. Jesus, fill us with the Holy Spirit. Fill us up, Lord. Fill us to the, to the 
can't take anymore. Empower us with boldness. We acknowledge you are the creator, God, that all things come from you. We acknowledge that you're the source of every revelation, Lord, that you revealed your son to us. And God, we pray, we, we acknowledge that you became flesh, that you died, you resurrected, that you've given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. We acknowledge those things, Lord, and we just ask now for the boldness to share your truth. We ask that you would give us the boldness, that you shake the room, that you would empower us, that we'd see signs and wonders that point people back towards you, not for our own benefit, but for the benefit of the unbeliever. Holy Spirit, come. Help us to pray for friends and loved ones who don't know you. Help us to to step into more relationship with you, that we would spend time with you, Jesus, that we would would be known as people who have been with you. Draw those, Lord, who are far from you. Draw them close. It's in Jesus' name.